everyone. We are joined today by Sue Clarkson. She's the MD of Coach House Communications. Hi, Sue. Hi, Roy. Hi, Boaz. Good to be here. Hiya. Lovely to have you. Today, we are going to be focusing and uh, discussing the case for helping small to medium-sized enterprises on really sort of like trying to get to grips with the foundations of employee well-being. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So we're filming a little bit out of sync at the moment, and usually everybody, we usually record on a Monday, but we're recording on a Friday today. So I get to ask the lovely question, do you both have plans for the weekend? I know this is a really short episode, everyone, this is an in-between episode, so it's going to be between 20, 30 minutes. Um, but very quickly, do you have any nice plans? Um, I, I I don't really have any plans as yet. I will no doubt it will no doubt be dictated by my children who are at that age where they require running around from one place to another. I generally am a taxi from my kids on a weekend these days. That's a sad state of affairs. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Uh, no. Just do nothing. That's my favourite things at weekends. So. Uh... Oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I have um, I have Alan and the kids. They're all signed up for like an internal Ninja Warrior course at a place Ooh, near us. It does. I didn't sign myself up for it, I have to say. I'm I'm the person with I'm I'm looking after the bags. That's my excuse. I need to look after the bags. And, and the, the dog. Coffee. And no, the dog's gonna be with grandma. Shh, don't tell him I'm going. He'll he'll be he'll know. <laughs> he'll sense it. He's right next to me. I'll get told off. So uh let's get into things then. So Sue, tell us a little bit about yourself and why employee wellbeing is such a topic of interest for you. Okay, so um I kind of fell into this world like like most people in the financial services industry. I um I did a degree in English many, many moons ago now and just decided at the end of that, oh, OK, I can I can write. So maybe I should be a journalist. So then I moved from the north. I was lured by the bright lights of London to come down south. And um, I think I was hoping for Vogue and I ended up on Financial Advisor. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but I'm not complaining because it was a, an amazing training ground. Um, I worked with some great people, a lot of whom went on to work on the nationals. And it was, yeah, it was a great experience. And I went from there to money management, working for Janet Walford, who's the editor of money management for many, many years. She's like the queen of financial services journalism. And again, it was a great training ground because um, she insisted that all her writers, um, in order to ensure credibility with the audience, had to do the financial planning certificate. So I, I studied for that while I was a journalist there. And we did some massive analytical pieces that were picked up by the nationals. Um, I was an editor of health insurance and protection. And then I went into senior corporate comms roles for uh, Gissings, an employee benefits consultancy, Simply Health, and then Booper. So I've always kind of worked in the, um, touched on the employee benefits world, but maybe worked it more so over recent years, but always in the area of health and well-being. And it's just an area that fascinates me. I think, you know, it's something that we all have, we can all associate with. And I just find the human body amazing. It's very robust and very fragile at the same time. And it's it's just, yeah, I, I find it a fascinating area. And obviously well-being now these days is such a, a big topic, but an also very complex topic. We'll come on to that in a moment. <laughs> that, that, that's a fantastic array of different places that you've worked. And 
um, you know, and, and obviously the you know combining that with a PR side of things. So uh, you must have had uh, some, some broad experience. How how's that helped? You know, make your decision as to as to your new venture you're just about to tell us about. Yeah, so when I worked in-house in corporate comms departments, I covered all areas of comms, so PR, but also public affairs, corporate social responsibility and internal comms. But in those days, internal comms was like the the post box for the organisation. A load of money was always spent on the external comms side of things by big companies, but internal comms were maybe just one, one or two people maximum. Um, and you know they'd generally be firefighting issues for senior management or um, managing the intranet. It wasn't the kind of um, profession it is today. And um, I suppose I've been working for myself for the past 12 years, and mainly my business has grown organically. It's grown through all the ex-colleagues and contacts that I've met throughout the years coming to me and just asking me to, to do various jobs, which is amazing. It's, I'm very lucky to have had that. Um, but it means that I've probably, it means that I've never steered it myself. And I've got to a stage now where I would like to steer things. And I've noticed over recent years that um, uh, that HR workload and pressure on business owners has been ever increasing to do things that arguably don't sit in their skill set, things like culture engagement, communication. All of these things are interlinked and comms has a big role in creating the conditions for culture and engagement. Um, but on the subject of, of communicating well-being benefits and services, I noticed a few years ago now that there was loads in the media, probably some of it ghostwritten by me, to be fair, around how HR needed to communicate well-being better. But what does I don't what does that mean? It seems to end up being translated into communicating more and more, especially via digital channels, things like dedicated benefits platforms and the massive array of employee engagement or experience platforms that are out there now. And arguably, this has led to massive overwhelm, a lack of understanding, because all that information doesn't necessarily translate into understanding. And meanwhile, issues like work-related stress and burnout are ever increasing. You know, I saw some research earlier this year that around two-fifths of UK workers um, agreed with a statement that in the past six months, they've felt under constant strain at work. And when you look at that by 16 to 24-year-olds, it increases to almost half. And, you know, a lot of this is probably exacerbated by new ways of working now. It's great for some, but not others. And uh, work-life balance is suffering for, for some people. Answering emails out of work hours, I'm sure we all experience that. So with all of this in mind, I wanted to look at how communication within companies can, A, better connect with employees to get around this problem of overwhelm, and B, to help create the foundations of well-being, the trust, respect and motivation through control and having autonomy around your own work. And with my external comms hat on, all of this impacts on corporate reputation because, you know, you can say what you like in PR and marketing. And up until a number of years ago, they were the main channels an organization had. But unless, you know, you can say all of that, but unless the employees are actually living it, then trusting that brand is going to suffer massively. And people trust the views of their peers. You see it with Amazon reviews and Glassdoor and Indeed and all those kind of things. People trust what the um, actual employees of a company have to say about it. Do you also recognise, uh, you know, something I see on a daily basis that 
obviously the UK is dominated by companies of 10 people and less. And, and obviously sometimes the resource or the HR person is often, you know, Hannah, age 20 from accounts, who's been given this as a task to do with little or no experience. Um, um, and, and, and we've got, you know, a proliferation of, of new companies that are opening up, which, which is good news post-COVID, but the challenge is that there, there simply isn't that experience to deal with, uh, you know, some of some of these subject matters. Yeah, absolutely. And in those very small companies, you, generally they've been built by an entrepreneur who's wearing countless hats and perhaps isn't, you know, generally well-being is is led by that person at the top because, um, you know, they set the tone, they role model healthy behaviours in, in theory, but entrepreneurs are wearing lots of hats and they're... Um, working long hours and it probably doesn't translate into a very healthy workplace for their people and yes you, you do you just don't small companies just don't have the help to help with all of that you have been doing quite a bit of research as well haven't you sue um especially in sort of like small to medium enterprises of say i think it was about 10 to 250 employees generally yeah. that's what you're looking at right. um on sorry like on behalf of one of your clients uh, the legal and general group protection side what were you what were your findings from this yeah so um the legal and general carry out what's called a well-being at work barometer each year we've just done the um, second round of that this year um, one of the top findings is that two in five um, SME employers already speak with a financial advisor about employee benefits. So good news. And even better news is that a similar number don't currently, but will consider it valuable. So that kind of goes against the idea that um, all SMEs want to want to go direct. It's great news that you know, SMEs see the value in speaking with an advisor. And you know, from everything I've just been saying about well-being, you can understand why, because it's a really complex area. Um, we also found that the top stressor right now for SME employers is employee health and well-being. Um, this came ahead of things that you might expect to be more stressors, things like workload, recruitment, managing dispersed teams, hybrid working, that kind of thing. And maybe you know, we'd have to delve deeper to find out why that is the case, but maybe it's pandemic induced. I think there was a realisation by a lot of companies during the pandemic that uh, health can bring everything to a standstill. Um, we also asked SMEs how they'd like help from the insurance industry. And by that, we meant advisors and insurers. And TOP was helped to design a program that integrates benefits with wellbeing initiatives. And when we probed further to ask what would better help them with this integration piece, customized communication came out top. And there, this probably explains why a lot of the big employee benefit consultancies have been ramping up their employee comms expertise in recent years, even buying internal comms consultancies in some cases. But that's great for the bigger guys. Uh, is there a challenge for the smaller IFA to learn that skill set? Because obviously, one of the problems you'll have is that the bigger EBs, with all due respect to them, don't tend to look at companies of 10 and 20 people. Is there, is there, is there a sort of gap in the market for for companies the size of, you know, Catherine's and I's and similar peers to, to, to you know, to train themselves up and, and help in this space? Yeah, absolutely. And I know absolutely recognition that the fact that you've got enough to do keeping on top of the day job and uh, new rules and regulations and consumer duty, for example, um, without becoming comms experts. But things like 
consumer duty, I'd say, loops into all of this as well, because that's a lot of that is about communicating in a way that connects with your audience, isn't it? So there, you know, there are implications there as well. But yeah, there are things that you can do, I think. Um, and it doesn't have to be just putting in place a digital platform. I think that has been seen as the answer to comms in the past. But like I've just said, you know, that there are notifications flying around all over the place. <laughs> People are just overwhelmed and and information doesn't necessarily translate into understanding. I've I've been doing a um because I wanted to get to know more about uh, the whole world of internal comms and where it's gone strategically. I'm I'm doing a master's at the moment in internal comms management. And it's been fascinating. And you learn through this that comms is about much more than just passing on information from the top down. It's about creating cultures. It's about helping leaders role model um, and, yeah, and, and, and influencing behaviours and uh, within organisations. So there's a, there's a lot more to it. But like I say, you can't, you've got enough to do without doing all of that. So, um, what Legal in General asked me to do on the back of this research was to help them design and deliver to clients and intermediary partners two things to support the aspects I described earlier. So A, better connecting with employees and B, helping create the foundations of well-being, the trust and respect and all those good things. So to better connect with employees, I've come up with a step-by-step -step guide to designing a customised otherwise known as personalised, whatever, whatever you want to term it, uh, communication programme to support wellbeing strategy. And that looks at better targeting messages and channels, not just your digital channel. There's a whole host of channels to communicate with people in a workplace and face-to-face -face being the key one wherever possible. But um, yeah, that looks at better targeting messages and channels to audiences, but also and crucially hardwiring everything to overall business strategy. Because, of course, for well-being to be really effective, it has to sit in the boardroom, doesn't it? Yeah. Secondly, I, sorry, sorry, go on, Roy. No, 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 I was just about to say, you know, that I've had a couple of live examples out this week with, with employers uh, challenged with exactly what you just said. It's all very well having a digital platform, but unless someone can deliver it and also translate it, I think uh, sometimes these platforms are almost a waste of time. Um, because you need the buy-in, but you also need the interpretation of those platforms. And one of the things that we're asked regularly is, you know, what's the sort of things on this platform that we should be getting in front of our staff? What should we be pushing? And and you're, you're, you're right, the, the culture needs to be at the top to encourage people to go in and look at, you know, various articles on, you know, I mean, cost of living crisis is, is, is arguably the most asked question currently. But just the, just saying it's on, it's on a platform somewhere, it's just, it's just not good enough, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what's what's driving all of this is that we've shifted from a from looking at this from an insurance perspective, we, we've shifted from this world of just fixing things when they go wrong and not giving it a second thought and moving on to needing to look at those underlying factors now. OK, what's causing the problem? And I think as as insurers, advisors, as communicators in this sector, we all need to be looking at that now. You know, what, what are the foundations of well-being? Because you get those right and then all the benefits and services and everything else on top of those foundations is going to bring best value to people and to business. Which is why I would argue that early intervention services are so uh, important to explain to people and, and, and you know uh, uh, a shout out to legal in general because obviously they're one of the first companies to 
you know, to actively uh, bring these in and encourage them. When you explain early intervention services to, to smaller companies, uh, it's it's music to their ears because you know the great fear yeah. with uh, with mental health it clearly is is having the expertise to recognise someone within your firm that's maybe struggling and, and how do you deal with it? You know that the insurer can step in and and take those reins pretty much on day one. I think is 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 very welcome to. Uh, to, to companies and and sometimes they don't get the link between the insurance company and that occurring and I think as an industry yeah. uh, you know uh, we need to we need to, to tell these stories more and and, and you know uh, yeah, you, you you you'd expect me to say seven families again and I, I don't I don't apologize for it you know the genius of that was telling these stories I think we should be telling early intervention stories to employers you know real life ones what I'm, is, is what I'm alluding to yeah absolutely and that is perfectly timed um, comment there, Roy, because I'm about to come on to storytelling. <laughs> so I've gone through the, the two things I've been designing for LNG. So one of them was a, a comms toolkit to better connect with people. The other is about creating the foundations. So I've designed and produced a podcast series um, called Better Wellbeing. This has been really stressful, to be entirely honest. Not <laughs> just, just because podcasting is something that I've never done before. Um, and I'm naturally an introvert, so this is today is quite stressful. But anyway, enough about me. Uh, so I think you're, I think you're a natural, so to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel it. So anyway, as part of this podcast series, there are just six 15 minute episodes, so it's really, really quick, not too onerous. And I look at in the first three, I look at the foundations of well-being. And the first one is about how storytelling is a social well-being superpower. And I love storytelling. I love doing that particular podcast because, as you just said, Roy, a big part of better connecting with employees is using stories. And I look at how to obtain and use stories in the toolkit I just mentioned. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned Seven Families. Um, it harks back to the success of the Seven Families campaign. You know, we all connected with with Tracy Clark, for example, and her, her battle with blindness and the massive difference that income protection made. Stories, they connect with us on an unconscious level. And um, during my master's, I've been, I've been even learning about storytelling. There's an unconscious um, thing behind this. There's a psychology behind this that I won't bore you with now, but suffice to say, there's instinctive reasons why we all love a good story. So would you would you give a shout out to insurers here? Um, you know, all insurers, and hopefully uh, many of them listening to this, uh, that on the corporate level they should be coming forward and, and telling us stories and and enabling the IFA community to to take those stories out. You know, to to tell to our customers. So you know, a sort of plea here to you know please come forward with as many as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, stories are, are incredibly powerful, more powerful than any kind of brochure, flyer. Um, and there are lots of applications of stories across all different types of comms, PR, marketing to employee comms. So, yeah, absolutely. I would I would say that. Yeah. So the next episode I look at is on leadership communication. And as I said earlier, leaders have a massive role in setting the tone for well-being in an organization. I look at how leadership comms are the, is the key to new ways of working success. Um, again, this is about getting the foundations right, building trust and all the good things that come with trust in terms of motivation, collaboration, productivity. Um, I also look at why culture is central to holistic and measurable well-being. And this brings the storytelling and the leadership comms together and it looks at 
I've that and other aspects of, of getting the foundations right so that benefit services initiatives have a much better chance of being valued by employees and valuable to the business. Um, I also, as part of this series, interview a couple of SME owners. And like you were just saying, Roy, you know, these, these are about, you work with a lot of uh, companies with around about 10 employees or, or more. These were both companies with 30 to 40 employees um, built by entrepreneurs who are, uh, are working their socks off and have always worked their socks off. But when you get to that kind of number of employees, they need to take a step back and think about what kind of tone are they setting for the organization and how are they ensuring inclusivity, uh, motivation, et cetera, et cetera, all those foundational stuff that we've just been talking about. I also interview uh, uh, the co-founder of a charity called Minds at Work, and this provides mental health and well-being support to SME leaders. It kind of helps leaders like those entrepreneurs within small businesses just take a step back and look at their own well-being, their own needs, so that they're better able to um, motivate and, and set the tone when they go back into organisations. I'm also helping Legal and General, General run a competition to give two SMEs the chance to win a day's internal comms consultancy with with moi. <laughs> so hopefully people will enter. Um, this includes a review and follow-up report with lots of practical actions and recommendations. And it can be about anything. Um, it's inter internal comms consultancy. So it could cover an aspect of well-being that's proving tricky. It could be about leadership comms. It could be to do with culture. Um, but yeah, absolutely anything. And it's open to companies with a minimum of 50 employees purely because um, with smaller than that, there's a lot to be said for the, the leader and the line managers um, creating those conditions. I'm not sure internal comms consultancy could have as much of an effect if it's not um, 50 plus. Um, so to find out more about that, can I mention the URL? Of course you can. Thank you. <laughs> so, to find out more, go to www.legalandgeneral.com forward slash better wellbeing competition. And that's got the competition, the podcast series and the toolkit on there. So please encourage your clients to enter or even enter your own business. If you're a small um, IFA, enter your own business. So the other thing... Um, the, the other thing that I would say here that I, I just keep hearing through this whole interview is an encouragement from you for smaller IFAs that maybe have dabbled in the in the corporate market to get to get into it, you know, with with, with two feet. Um, you know, I think the opportunities here are, are enormous. We've suddenly got open doors in a way we've never had before. Employers, it sounds from from your research, are seeking out IFAs. You know, your two in five stat. Yeah. So you know, we're, this is an underserviced market, and to, to many people listening into this podcast. Uh, maybe they should uh, re-examine their, you know, because there's, there's not enough of us uh, doing doing corporate. But yeah, we've just we've just yeah. exposed the fact that the market is 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 humongous. Yeah, absolutely. You know that going back to that stat that the biggest stressor for small to medium sized companies is employee health and well being. They want to talk to IFAs. They're either talking or want to talk to IFAs. So yeah, the the time is is really ripe, and also you know I think back to some research that Grid, the industry body, did maybe three or four years ago now um, amongst SMEs, and that looked at the fact that SMEs more than their larger company counterparts really really value 
the added value aspects of group income protection, because for them, it's not really about the claim. It's about um, creating reputation. It's about recruitment and retention and and motivation and all those foundational things that I've just been talking about more I think for SMEs, I think they recognize this than the larger clients. So there absolutely is the opportunity, but it's about connecting with those SME needs and putting well-being in a much wider context than it probably has been in the past. I like to think of it as being a bit Jerry Maguire-esque. Did you ever watch Jerry Maguire? Show me the money. Do you ever watch that? Catherine's too young for Jerry Maguire. Oh, well, for anyone. anyone Catherine probably knows Harry Maguire rather than Jerry Maguire. (laughs) It's a sport. It's a great film with Tom Cruise. I know about it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, Catherine, it wasn't in black and white before you insult me and Sue. No, honestly, my kids asked me once. I think if I if I can watch them in black and white, I was like, "How dare you? How dare you?" Catherine, you need to watch it. It's such a good movie, and he's a, he's a sports booker. Would you say he's a, he's a, he's a yeah, sports star promoter? Yeah. And uh, he has an epiphany, um, you know, he works in this big company. It's just about making money, making money, more clients and more clients. He has this epiphany and he decides to write a mission statement, which is all about fewer clients, less money, more attention. And I think for workplace well-being, I like to think it's about fewer comms, less overwhelm, more value. That sounds brilliant. What a perfect way to, to end that on. That sounds great. And obviously the podcast series, I mean, 15 minutes, you know, six 15-minute sessions sounds great. And the competition sounds really, really good as well. And um, and why wouldn't you go for it? I always say to people as well, though, I don't know if it's my northern blood in me, um, but essentially if there's something and I can try and win it, I'm going for it. That's it. It's just like, <laughs> give it to me for free. I love yeah. it. Thank you. Um, Hello, northern in here. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you um, for listening, everybody. And thank you, Sue, for coming on and sharing those insights as well. I have to say as well, I was really loved the idea of the storytelling side of things because when I was at university, that was a good part of um, stuff that I did for quite a while, which I think is incredible. Uh, next time, we're going to be back with Alan Desmier from Contact State, and he's going to be talking about uh, lead generation, consumer consent online, and the consumer duty principle that's going to be really, really coming up over the next year or so that we need to prepare for. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, Octo members. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you soon, everyone.